the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. It is impossible, listen to me on this, it is impossible for you to walk with Christ and and have as part of your life the values and the standard and the truth of Christ while at the same time sharing the values and the standards of this world. It's impossible because those things are in direct opposition to one another and increasingly so as we get closer to the return of Christ. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. More and more, the values and standards that the world holds to are in direct opposition to the character of Christ. This doesn't mean that you should live in a Christian commune that never interacts with the world. As Pastor Gary will clarify in today's message, you are to be the salt of the earth. Salt does nothing for the flavor of food if it never comes in contact with it. You need to share the truth with the lost. But be careful that you don't allow your integrity to be compromised by the temptations you'll encounter. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James, chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. James chapter 4, verse 1 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have... You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Uh, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so uh, here in chapter 4, James continues in this theme, the idea that a true Christian, uh, one who is uh, um, a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, will do good things, will show himself or herself to be a believer in Jesus Christ by the evidence of the fruit of their lives. And uh, what Luther, Martin Luther, called the epistle of straw because he he didn't really care for James' letter. Uh, Luther had the idea that James was emphasizing works equal to or above faith, which is not true. James wasn't saying that you work your way to heaven. He wasn't saying that works are equal to faith. He's saying that works show that you have faith, that works are evidence, works testify to the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, he begins chapter 4 here by saying, it's not very becoming of Christians, those who call themselves believers in Jesus, those who show themselves by the way that they behave and the way they live. It's not becoming of Christians to be Christ followers and to be arguing with each other, to be in strife and to have conflict. That's why he begins here in verse 1. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? He says, do they not come from your desires For pleasure, the war in your members, talking about not members of the church, he's talking about in the members of your body. In other words, within us, our flesh, there are fleshly desires, there are fleshly um, appetites, fleshly moods, fleshly things that we get ourselves into. And James is making the point here, don't be acting in the flesh. Because when you act in the flesh, well, look what happens in verse 2. He says, you lust, and you don't have, you murder, you covet. You fight? Sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Uh, and, and the reality is here that these things are the result of people who are operating and acting and living in the flesh, who, who are living to please self, who are giving in to their own carnal, fleshly, base nature. James says, you know, Christians aren't, aren't supposed to be acting like this. And so here in, in the... Now, James is writing to the Jews scattered throughout Asia Minor. And so this, this is read in various churches. He's not calling out one particular church. However, uh, every church to some degree has a little bit of this going, in, going on in it. You know, there's, there's some disagreement. There's some strife. There's some conflict. Uh, it isn't unique to the, to the letter here of James. For example, Paul called out the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read some of these references. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul says, 
And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as fleshly, as babes in Christ. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, fleshly, and behaving like mere men? So we see at the church at Corinth that there's this... There's strife and envy and divisions. Paul calls out the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. There was backbiting and, and gossip and slander going on in the church at Galatia. Even in, in the church at Philippi, Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 2, he appeals to two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, and he says in Philippians 4, 2, can't you guys just get along? Can you, can't you ladies please just stop your bickering and get along? And so it's not uncommon for churches to have strife and some conflict and some disagreement. But what James is saying is that the root of that disagreement is always the flesh. There's, there's, some, there's something about our flesh that gets in the way. And even though I made the joke earlier about sounds like a marriage, um, that's the reality in a marriage too. You know, strife and conflict happen in a marriage because people are acting in the flesh. The more we're like Christ in a marriage, the less strife and conflict there is. The more we're like Christ in a church, the less, the less strife and conflict there is. By the way, he does use the word murder here, you know, in verse 2, he's like, you lost and, and you murdered. It's not like they're literally killing each other. He's, he's talking about uh, bitter hatred. So he's using an extreme term, but he's talking about bitter hatred that's going on there. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, Ruth uh, Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, was once asked, uh, did you ever contemplate divorce, you know, in your marriage? Did you ever have such strife with Billy Graham that you ever contemplated divorce? She said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> and and it, the idea here is that, that they are, you know, they're coveting, they, are, they're, they have a bitter hatred towards each other, they're fighting with each other, and James says, listen, as Christians, this is unbecoming, you shouldn't be like that, and the root of that kind of stuff is our base nature, is our flesh. Now, we need to understand this, everybody needs to get this, right? Even as a believer, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, your spirit has been regenerated, been redeemed, but not your flesh. So the conflict is that you and I have a redeemed spirit so that when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. We eventually get a new body, a glorified body, but otherwise our body disintegrates and goes back into the dust of the earth, okay? But while we're living as a Christ follower, it means that our spirit has been regenerated, but we're living within the shell of a flesh of a body that has not. And so there's this warring that goes on. And we have to make this conscious decision that we're not going to live according to the flesh, but we're going to live according to the Spirit. Because your flesh wants to dominate your life. And your flesh is insatiable. Your flesh always wants to get the upper hand. That's why we're exhorted in Scripture, die to the flesh, crucify the flesh. 
Put to death those things. In, in, in Galatians, Paul has a whole section in Galatians chapter 5, talks about the acts of the flesh and, and the acts of, of the spirit, the acts of the sinful nature, and the acts of the regenerated man or woman. I'll, I'll just read a little bit of it from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25, where he exhorts the church of Galatia, exhorting us by the spirit. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, it's a decision. Walk in the ways of the Spirit. Honor God. Do what is pleasing to Him, but don't gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on, he says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Can anybody relate? There are times, like you have good intentions, you want to honor God, you want to live for God, but sometimes the flesh rises up and gets in the way of that, right? And so this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5, verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists just a few just to give us a reminder of some of the stuff we struggle with in our flesh. He says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So this is his point. He's saying the reason that there's quarreling among you, the reason there's strife, the reason that there's contention and and all of this arguing and bickering, he says it's, it's, it's just because you've allowed the flesh to be exalted in your life and you're not walking in the Spirit. So this is true for a church. This is true for a marriage. This is true for relationships. This is true for anything. That when we yield to the things of the flesh, there's going to be conflict, strife, and there's going to be all kinds of, of, of terrible things. But the more we walk in the Spirit and we die to self, we crucify the flesh, then we have less of these things going on. And so he challenges us in this way. And then he's basically going to say this. Okay, if, if the flesh is the root of your arguing and your problems, he says the root of the flesh, at least in terms of the influence of our flesh, is the world is the world. And, and this is why he speaks here about um, in, in, uh, when, he calls, when he calls us out as adulterers and adulteresses in verse 4, what he, he's using an Old Testament term of infidelity because what he's saying is if, if we have this love affair with the world, it's like we're in spiritual adultery with God. Because the love affair with the world is what feeds our flesh. And the more our flesh is fed, then the more we live like the rest of the world. And so no wonder why there's conflict and arguing and strife in the church, in your marriage, right? So that's why he, he, he adds there in verse 4, he says, whoever, he says, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, that's strong language here, and don't miss what he's saying here, because 
The church has to be relevant and has to be relational with the world. Otherwise, the world is never going to know what you know, which is, you know, the love of Christ and salvation through faith in him. So we can't cut ourselves off from the world, but it's the idea of friendship with the world. Now, when you think about your friends, and you know the old saying, birds of a feather flock together, you commonly pick your friends because you naturally find that you have shared interests, shared values, shared uh, likes and dislikes. There's a commonality there. And so you get along and you hang out together and you spend time together and you enjoy each other's companies. That's what friends do. All right. Versus acquaintances. Now, you and all you and I all have friends and we also have acquaintances. And we all know that acquaintances don't have the same relationship with you like your friends. And even among your friends, you have some closer ones, the closest of your friends who are kind of like in your inner circle, like people who that you, you really hang out with. You really let your hair down with. OK. And then outside of that, there are friends. And then beyond that, there are acquaintances. But your acquaintances, you know, you don't necessarily have shared interests, shared values. You just kind of, you know, brush up against them every now and again, have contact with them, pleasantries, you exchange pleasantries. Um, maybe you, you know, you work together, but you, you don't hang out together. All right. That's the idea here. Don't hang out with the world. The world should be your acquaintance, but not your friend. You should have enough contact with the world that you're influencing the world like salt and light. Jesus talked about how we're to be salt and light in our world. We're to influence our world. We are to flavor our world. Salt like an antiseptic. Sometimes, you know, when we're speaking the truth, it can, you know, be a little painful for, for people. But, it's, but yet it's that antiseptic truth of God's word. So there, there's contact that we have with the world. There's, there's the, the acquaintance of the world. Just don't make the world your friend. Just don't be hanging out because it is impossible. Listen to me on this. It is impossible for you to walk with Christ and, and have as part of your life, the values and the standard and the truth of Christ while at the same time sharing the values and the standards of this world. It's impossible because those things are in direct opposition to one another. And increasingly so as we get closer to the return of Christ. The values and the standard of God are often diametrically opposed to the values and standards of our world. So it is impossible to be friends with both. You're going to have to choose. What James is saying here is if you're a true Christ follower, you're going to want to be an acquaintance of the world, but just not a friend with the world. You're not going to hang out with the world, do what the world does, talk like the world talks, go to the places the world goes. And do some of the things that the world does. You're going to want to be somebody who pleases God. And that life looks very different. Uh, we have some interns who were serving here this summer. And uh, one of our interns, we were, we were out at lunch today, several of us. And one, one of our interns said to me, and he goes to a Christian college, a Christian university. And he said, when I got there with some of my high school Christian friends, it became evident that as soon as we, quote, had our freedom, we're on college campus now, that some of my high school college friends have decided to veer in a different direction, even at a college university. And, I, and he, said, he said, I had to make the, the decision. I just, I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't, I can't be like, like, like you guys want me to be because it's in conflict with my walk with Christ. Even at Christian universities now. Because people are making a decision. Do I really want to live for the Lord or am I going to live for the world? You can't 
do both. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, in the church, meaning in a relationship with Christ, and, and, and think that that works. It doesn't work. And so James is saying here, here that friendship, you know, loving the world and having a relationship with the world and, and, and acting like the world, that's in conflict with a relationship with the Lord. So there are some warnings in Scripture about worldliness, uh, and the first two are right here out of the book of James. The first one is what we're talking about. Number one, do not befriend the world. That's James 4, 4. But James also talks about not being polluted uh, by the world in James 1, 27, where he says this, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted or unpolluted from the world. We also read in Scripture in, uh, that the Bible tells us uh, do not love the world, First John 2, 15 and se- to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Number four, the Bible also warns about not being conformed to the world. In Romans 12, 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And one more, there's a warning in all of this not to be condemned with the world. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, it says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So there are times that God disciplines us because he sees us veering off the path and he doesn't want us to be condemned, swept up in the condemnation that the world's going to experience, those who don't know Christ and have rejected him. So there are times we experience discipline in our lives because that's because God loves us enough to say, I don't want you to go the way of the world. So even though I'm spanking you right now and it's, and it's unpleasant, it's because I love you enough not to give you over to the world because he doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. And so James writes here about all of this. And one of the, two of the things that he says here in this first section that I just want to point out, especially for those of you taking notes, is that a life in the flesh slash of the world, number one, is incomplete. In other words, not satisfying. Because he uses these different phrases throughout. You can glance again at your Bibles there in verse 2. Your lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have. He uses that phrase again. Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And IV says, ask with wrong motives and you may spend it on you know, your own selfish pleasures. So what he's saying here is it's this uns- living in the flesh and living for the world in the end is very unsatisfying. It, it, it's, it's this futile way of attempting to live out your life without any real sense of satisfaction because the, the ultimate satisfaction that the human soul needs and will experience can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know for those of you who might be skeptics and think oh, that is a ridiculous statement to make, I'm just saying the, the ultimate, the ultimate you will find a measure of satisfaction in this life apart from Christ. There, there are different things that you can do that, 
bring temporary satisfaction, that bring a temporary sense of purpose, but it's all temporary. The ultimate satisfaction, the eternal satisfaction that comes in our lives is in knowing the Lord, and this world simply cannot deliver on what it promises. Thanks for joining us to study the book of James here on Cornerstone Connection. This powerful New Testament letter encourages you to take what you're learning in God's Word and apply it to your everyday life. The Bible isn't some ancient text meant to be a good read. It's relevant to you today. Scripture teaches you what a follower of Jesus looks like, not just what they sound like. As you continue to grow in your faith, allow what God says in His Word to influence you and how you present yourself to the world. That's all we have time for today in our study of James. We'd like to meet you. If you're in the Leesburg area, please consider yourself invited to visit us at Cornerstone Chapel this Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, or 11.45. We'll spend time in worship and digging into the Bible, and you'll meet more of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be sure to let us know you're a Cornerstone Connection listener. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find links to our social media pages and a library of Pastor Gary's messages. We even have a mobile app. That way you can take scriptural teaching with you wherever you go. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Now, go be Jesus to the world around you. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 